Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snack Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Jackson trying to escape and run for it, and he's got it more. Lamar Jackson down the sideline. Will they give it to him? They will. Touchdown, Baltimore. And with 117 left to play on Wild Card Weekend, the Hayes in the Barn. Oh my God! I wish you guys could. I wish we had a camera in here so you could see what we're doing. We're just a bunch of <laughs> clowns in here. <laughs> How much fun is that? What is up, you guys? It is Jake here, coming to you uh, on a Friday morning of August sixth, uh, bringing you guys to a little bit of a quick intro. Uh, to an interview that Spenny and I did that is going to serve for today's episode. We did this one last night on Thursday the 5th, talking with uh, Mike Sands of Locked On Bengals. Mike is a uh, uh, sort of a film grinder from uh, the land of uh, the Bengals. He does some stuff with Sports Illustrated, stuff with uh, Locked On Bengals, and uh, is just an all-around good dude and uh, was a great chat. Breaking down what we're going to be expecting from uh, Cincy, you know, that um, orange and black uh, attack that they're going to have there with Joe Burrow, with Zach Taylor, with all these uh, these guys on this, to some degree, new-look roster. I think they're an interesting team, so we wanted to get somebody on to preview them, do a little look around the AFC North, and uh, felt he was a good place to start. And then that uh, definitely turned out to be the case here. So uh, without further ado, I'm going to go ahead and throw it to our interview with Mike Sands uh, right after I give you guys our typical spiel to follow us on social media. At Podcast Beatdown on Twitter, you can follow me at Jake Luke. that is L-O-U-Q-U-E, Spencer is at Ravens for dummies. That's the number four. And uh, check us out on Instagram as well. Getting pretty active on there. Baltimore underscore beatdown underscore podcast. And we're also uh, getting going on YouTube as well at Baltimore beatdown. We're starting to get some more plans to uh, get a little more active on there too. So go ahead and subscribe. We're getting closer and closer to that 1000 subscriber mark. Spencer has been doing a great job putting out uh, sort of daily recaps uh, that he's doing as he goes to training camp practices uh, each and every day that uh, he's available to. So he's going to be getting back at that next week, I think, starting on Monday. So subscribe to Baltimore Beatdown on YouTube to uh, go ahead and uh, jump into those because they've been really good. He's knocking it out of the park. So uh, like I said, check those out. Check us out on social. And uh, hope you guys enjoy our interview with Mike Sands. So uh, without further ado, here it is. You guys have a great weekend, and we'll talk to you again early next week. All right, we now welcome on a very special guest. It is Mike Sands from Locked on Bengals joining us. Wanted to do a little bit of a uh, AFC North whip around preview series type thing. So I guess we're starting here with uh, with Cincy. Mike is kind enough to hop on with us, talk a little bit of Bengals here for uh, for uh, however long it's going to be. But Mike, how's it going, man? Thanks for joining us. 
I'm doing great. How are you guys doing? Doing all right, We're doing man. Real well. We appreciate you jumping on. Yep, absolutely. So, uh, I guess before we get going here, how about you give us a little little origin story? What got you into football? What got you into the uh, the the old Cincy Bengals there? And uh, what got you into the position where you're talking to two clowns like us on a Thursday night? <laughs> yeah, I played football. I mean, I, I played like flag. My dad didn't want me to play till middle school, so I played, and I played in middle school. I wanted to be a wide receiver. I was quickly moved to tight end, and then I was a hundred and fifty pound left guard. <laughs> Um, I got, I don't know. I just got into like everything from there, like scheme, strategy, technique, everything like that. I mean, being 180 pound left guard in high school, it was all technique. There was no mass on me to move people. (laughs) And then, uh, with the Bengals, my dad was a Browns fan. And I mean, growing up, it was, I grew up, I mean, I was born in 96. So by the time I was like conscious of football, it was like 2001 and the Browns were just God awful. And my mom was a Bengals fan. So I was like, no, that one. <laughs> and it just stuck. Plus Skyline Chili. So you were like, I'm in. Boom. Yeah. You know, she took me to Skyline Chili eventually. And I like it, even if I'm from more northeast Ohio than where it originates. It's, it's can- part of the part of the culture there. And, you know, the, the only part that grosses me out is I went with a buddy. I've only been like maybe three times. I've been in Cincy a couple of times. And my buddy, he'll just get the pasta full pasta he wants to go when it opens at either 10 or 11 a.m whichever i think it's i think it was 10 a.m dude will do an entire bowl of pasta all of the chili all of the cheese sour cream the whole nine yards i'm like brother man i love the nasty dirty sauce but it is 10 a.m i i can't do that yet. yeah my uh my brother went to college in cincy and I, I was there like in one of the winter months i remember and like the only time i ever had it like i thought it was great because it was like freezing out you know at cincinnati in the winter and um i was like yeah skyline chili is great and then i started to hear some uh divided opinions on it as i started to get a little bit older but uh, i don't know i'm a fan I, I usually go. tell as you tell people that aren't from Cincinnati or even Ohio is just like get a hot dog with chili on it. They'll be way more normal for you. Exactly. So yeah, talking uh, talking hot dogs first. Getting the important stuff out of the way: the guard play, the hot dogs, the pasta with chili on it, all the good stuff. Uh, moving on to the old the old Cincinnati Bengals, formerly the uh, the Fighting Andy Daltons, which has been. Uh, the, quite the whirlwind. Andy Dalton and Joe Flacco, in my opinion, had such similar careers at one point, but that's a that's a story for another time. So running through the Bengals offseason here, you know, of, of course, the major question, uh, the, the pertinent burning question, Jamar Chase or Penny Sewell, uh, and, and I'm going to go ahead and throw the monkey wrench in. My guy was Rashawn Slater, but ultimately the Bengals end up bringing in Riley Reef, doing a little construction. They bring in some pass rushing help on a gentleman from the Saints who had a gigantic breakout year that we'll, uh, we'll get into a little bit. And we're talking defense and uh, saw William Jackson go and some other moves. So overall, take us through, you know, the the whirlwind of this Bengals offseason and especially, you know, uh, the, that whole conversation leading up through the free agency and draft of Sewell versus Chase and all that good stuff. Well, as, as a former offensive lineman in high school, uh, I'm definitely big more on offensive line than I was wide receiver. So I was team Penny Sewell or whatever. I don't. It didn't matter. I mean, once we signed Riley Reef, I was like, oh, we're, we're drafting Chase because we didn't pick up a, a Tyrell Williams or like a Josh Reynolds to be right. like a fine third wide receiver. And then, I mean, on defense, yeah, we signed Trey Hendrickson. I mean, I think it's a little bit of a downgrade from Carl Lawson. I don't think he creates as well. And I also just don't like that he wears those long sleeves and without gloves. I'll, it'll probably grow on me eventually. <laughs> uh, 
His that's aesthetic like, that's is definitely pathetic. something <laughs> that's something that like we would key in on there. So I really respect that. <laughs> yeah, uh, Larry Ogunjobi signed. I feel like nobody talks about that, but he was pretty. He has flashes of really good and so then, explosive, so yeah, explosive. He does this head slap thing like it's 1974. Sometimes <laughs> he slapped against us. He slapped Mike Jordan in the head, and then he was on a stunt. And he slapped Jonah in the head. <laughs> it's like I love this. Uh, we lost William Jackson, yeah, to Washington, and. Then we signed Chidobe Awuzie, who's fine. I think it's a downgrade, but it's like, I don't know. Will Will wasn't Will wasn't as locked in as he could be. I think because I mean we're losing every single season, and he got tired of it. And then I mean I know he didn't have good experiences with fans and stuff, so I don't know. He just didn't seem to. He was due for a fresh start. Yeah, he needed a fresh start. And, uh, I mean, we signed Mike Hilton. That's cool. Mike Start. Hilton, one of the most really underrated. I mean, you, me, you, and everybody from uh, from Browns Nation as well, the dog pound knows, Mike Hilton is one of the best blitzing slot corners in the NFL, one of the, the nastiest nickels that there is. He he would have a chance at being like, I don't know, maybe even like Hall of Fame level. If he could do coverage as good as he does blitzing and fitting the run, <laughs> it's like he's like a linebacker over there. And then it's like in coverage, yeah, he's fine. He's not terrible. It's just like, Ah oh, man, I wish that was up to par with. Just kind of else. flip it on its head a little bit, and yeah, if it was like pretty good blitzing and fitting the run, and then like amazing coverage, I'd be like, "Ooh!" But I'm still happy with it. I don't know. I I think the offseason went fine. I think it could have went better. I think we should have invested more in the offensive line. Not that it's going to be as bad as the media is saying, because we're replacing Mike Jordan with Quentin Spain. That's an upgrade. We replace. Whoever was at right guard, Alex Redman, Fred Johnson, a whole list of people with Jackson Carmen, and I have no idea how that's going to go. I thought he looked. There was some positive and some. I, I like Jackson Carmen a lot. So hey, if you want to, oh, okay. if you want to go that end, I, I was pretty high on him. I, I thought he, you know, deserves a shot as a tackle. Then see if he moves inside and kind of, kind of teeing you up a little bit. Just the whole conversation that a rookie offensive lineman in general is going to come in and in year one be a stabilizing force is very strange and I think obtuse. So I, I think bringing in those veterans was a much better move than people realize. Yeah, what I wanted to do was to bring in Joe Tooney and a tackle like Matt Filer or something. Well, we got Riley Reef, who I think is as good or better than Matt Filer. So I, honestly, I mean, if you want the take, it's like Penny Sewell early early this season isn't going to be as good as Riley Reef would be. I mean, like game one, game two, by the end of the season, he could be as good, sure. But I mean, it's a rookie offensive tackle. Sometimes those guys are Tristan Wirfs and they hit the ground running. And who also plays with, you know, three other all pros on the <laughs> right, offensive line. Right. Like Jedrick Wills does too. I'm like, yeah, they're they're good because they're next to these guys as well. It's not just him by himself. And then you get an Andrew Thomas who doesn't have help over there. He's playing next to Will Hernandez and he doesn't hit the ground running. Our guy would be playing next to Quinn Spain or Xavier Suafilo, and that's not an all pro lineman to help him out. That's that's like decent, maybe a little below average. I don't know. Somewhere around there. Yeah, for me, I, I'm kind of curious, and this is definitely a little bit more of a meta, like ph- philosophical question, pulling it back a little bit. But like, we're talking a lot about like roster construction, and there was the whole debate at the top of the draft that you touched on with Sewell versus Chase, and obviously they wind up going Chase. And I was maybe a little more convinced it was going to be in the other direction because to me, like picking the offensive lineman, like the kind of the boring safe choice, that just felt like kind of a Mike Brown move. What is when I say the words Mike Brown? What is the first thing that comes into your mind as a Bengals fan? Because I'm always curious. Uh, the very first thing is uh, old, but the second thing is 
probably kind of cheap. And then the third thing is, uh, you know, son of Paul Brown. <laughs> that was that was beautiful. That is a six-word summary that hits every head. <laughs> I think he's a nice guy. I just he's like the poorest owner in the league. So when he's cheap, it's like I don't know. I kind of get it, but at the same time, I'm like. God, how are you supposed to compete when you just won't give guaranteed money to people? Yeah, and I'm just I'm curious on that front because it's like every NFL franchise and like even including the Bengals to a degree, it's like they're all like they all involuntarily or I'm not involuntarily, but like they pretty much all just by proxy became these, you know, multi-billion dollar like international corporations, essentially. And like the Bengals are in that group, but they still sometimes operate what feels like a mom and pop shop. And I think he's kind of at the center of that. So I'm, I'm always kind of kind of curious to hear Bengals perspectives on him. I don't, I don't think I don't think he's like the worst owner in the league, but uh, he's just sort of one of the more interesting figures where he kind of runs it still like a family business in some ways. Yeah, you could hit the opposite end and be Dan Snyder. And I think that's worse where you're spending all your money and you're a bad person. It's like, OK, yeah, I feel even worse about being the fan of this team because at least i mean i think he's a nice guy i think people like him uh you never hear about him with any weird scandals like what happens in washington sometimes so yeah we're uh we're like right next door to that so we're, we're privy to all that like uh maybe a little bit more than we want to be but uh yeah always curious about mike brown yeah uh the one thing about him doing offensive line or wide receiver he loves wide receivers if you ever listen to him talk i mean he loves Isaac Curtis back in the 70s and 80s. Oh, God, I hope I was right. <laughs> uh, he loves, like, Chad Johnson still. That's why Chad's always showing up to Bengals, and he's doing stuff there. He, he loves wide receivers. It's, I think that's... No shout-out to uh, Mr. Collinsworth? Uh, Collinsworth, also great, yeah. I, I think he gets enough love with PFF and being <laughs> football. Definitely. Definitely. But, yeah, I, I, wanted, I wanted to flip this conversation a little bit, talk a little defense, which is... To me, I mean, you know, all, all this talk is the offense, basically Chase, the offensive line, and I just think it is so negligent how much the transitions on the Bengals' defense and and what they kind of went into the the OR, so to speak, and busted out the scalpel, cut it open, and, and made some moves. I mean, big moves with William Jackson and Carl Lawson, two of your, you know, cornerstone, arguably, players defensively gone, and then a litany of others brought in, a lot of younger guys that are now going to have to step into bigger roles too. And, I mean... People ignore the fact the Bengals' offense was efficient. You know, Joe Burrow, Joe Burrow does go down. You know, that was what it was, what it was. But the Bengals' defense was definitely the weaker unit uh, a lot of the time last year, from what I saw. And you know, wasn't wasn't watching every single snap. But I think that getting that defense right was an imperative move. So, how do you feel about the defensive moves that the Bengals have made so far, and where do you see that fitting this season? And, and where are they strong? Where are they weak? Uh, I do think it's interesting that. Like, uh, from a national media perspective, it seems like everybody just says, and the defense sucks. It's like, we didn't do anything. It's like, I mean, maybe it does, but we did stuff. It's not like we didn't do anything. We signed Joby. We re-signed Mike Daniels. I love Mike Daniels. I think he's just still... Such good like, value, so cheap. He's like $2 million, and he's a really good run stopper that can play one and a half, two gaps. Um, DJ Reader's coming back. He was gone, like, 11, 12 games last year. Uh I, I loved that signing at the time. It was so underrated. No one talked about it. And he was so damn good in Houston. So definitely going to help out a lot. <laughs> I appreciate this. <laughs> I, uh, I think the defense, every move is like we're moving. I think we're moving away from playing. Well, I think we played cover one man the most last year. And I think we're trying to move more towards cover three. But then also signing Mike Hilton makes me think we're going to bring some creepers and fire zones that Baltimore loves killing us with. Um, 
So I think it'll be interesting. I think the thing with like Louie Anarumo is I don't know how you're supposed to trust him so far where he's led two terrible units so far in his career. I think his scheme's fine. It's like single high, let Jesse Bates roam sideline to sideline, and then we'll play cover three or cover one for the most part. Uh, I don't know. I I think to be seen on the defense, I think it should be interesting. I think our pass rush should be better. I mean, we were one of the worst in the league. And even losing Carl Lawson, who I think was and still would be our best pass rusher, we had Joseph Osai in the draft, who's got a really good get off. Cam Sample, I don't know what he's going to give in pass rush, but he's a rotational piece so far. Uh, looks good in uh, training camp, but that's also against our backup interior offensive line, which is terrible. Uh, Mike Hilton just adds like five sacks, which is great <laughs> if we use them that way. Um, there's a lot of pieces. There's a lot that I think there's a way this hits, and we have. I don't know, an average, maybe even above average defense. And there's also a way this, none of this hits and we end up with a terrible defense for strength and weaknesses. The quick one is I think our biggest strength is going to be, I want to say run defense because we have DJ reader. We have all these things, but the linebackers kind of concern me a little bit with their run defense. I don't think they take on blocks from guards that well. I kind of think it might be the defensive backs and the coverage back there, even, and then if we're not getting pressure, that still gets shredded. But that's a strength, I think, for the most part. Trey Waynes is – I think we have two what we would, I guess, call two cornerback twos. They're like high-end cornerback twos, guys you don't want to put on uh, – like, You don't want to put on an island. You don't want to put them on an island. Uh, but you don't you, – you're not against having them against – like man-to-man -man against a guy. As long as it's not the guy, it's like a guy where – I don't know. That's, I mean, that, hey, that's where Jesse Bates comes in. If there's a guy, yeah. Jesse was, Bates is going to be able to seal some uh, seal some angles. That was the last thing I was going to say was just that I think you can get away with lower cornerback uh, talent when you have a guy like Jesse Bates giving divider help, giving help sideline to sideline. Because I mean, you look at what Chidobe played with. Like Xavier Woods was not playing sideline to sideline in single high. He was taking a head off if the guy came hash to hash. <laughs> um, so. I think that'll help them look better than they are. Yeah, ever since uh, the Bengals kind of like, drove a, a knife right into the Ravens' heart a couple of years ago in Week 17, I've kind of been making the joke that that was the game that sort of made them the Ravens sort of look inwardly and realize it was time to move on from Joe Flacco. So that's sort of maybe maybe me uh, rationalizing and spin zoning that game a little bit as the one that got us Lamar Jackson as painful as it was at the time. What is uh, what is kind of your first thought as a fan? We, I know we kind of already touched on this a little bit before we got going, but when you see Lamar Jackson walking out onto the field on a Sunday or, or whatever it is when he's about to play the Bengals. He, I swear to God, I wish he was just in the NFC. He is so fun to watch. and I, It's like a Bengals fan saying all this. He is the worst person. I think he's harder to scheme against just on paper than even like a Patrick Mahomes who can make every throw because you could play perfect coverage, it's almost like you're not allowed to play man anymore. People say, put a spy on him. He just run, outruns the spy. It's like the Seahawks tried to do that with Bobby Wagner. They tried to do it with safety. Like it, he just cruises right by. <laughs> yeah. Like, what, we're going to have Logan Wilson catch him. It's like, no, <laughs> he's, he's decent fast for a linebacker, but I mean, you got to put like your kick returner in there to try to tackle him. I, I don't know. He's so good. It, I don't understand the idea where it's like, just stop the run. It's like, yeah, I wish I could. <laughs> you run the the counter bash, 
uh, counter read, all that stuff where it's not read like zone read anymore, where it's like, oh, you just squeeze one guy down, you scrape over the top, and that's how you I think they were like 11th in read options last year. Yeah, no, but what are they in like counter bash? Because it's got to be like by like, far number they're one. They're like one, one through 31. It was weirdly, <laughs> like, it was a weirdly a lot more too after he came back from COVID and he just really started cutting it loose in the run game. Yeah, I mean, that thing's just so difficult to defend where he has the poolers in front of him and the back is the one that's basically playing like the quarterback, like, ah, you know. It, it just sucks to be back. a linebacker. You're going to be flat footed or you're going to be guessing and you're probably going to be wrong. Yeah, I. I mean, I guess the idea to play against him is to try to do that thing the Chargers did years ago, which doesn't work as well anymore, but it's like play like seven defensive backs and because your linebackers just don't matter in this. Then you get Mark Andrews and it's like, okay, but we got to play underneath on him too, which I guess you could, you probably want to use. I don't then know. they come in with Nick Boyle, then they come yeah, in with Patrick yeah, Hard, and then and you know, Boyle, it's a different just game. Blow up the defensive backs playing linebacker. It's like, I don't know. I would play Jesse Bates on Mark Andrews because I think he can handle that. And then I think, I mean, I don't know. It's so difficult. It's like you put Von Bell deep, I guess. <laughs> I hope that doesn't Von Bell's, Von Bell's a fine safety. He's, he's a fine, fine He's, he's fine not moving sideline. You know what I said, Xavier Woods? is like hash to hash. That's kind of similar <laughs> with Von Bell. It's like if he's deep middle of the field, he's like hash to hash, maybe a little bit outside that. It's not. He's not going to stop a – a go route, even if it's inside. Really yeah, he's, he's taking the seams. He's worried about the seams a little bit right, and right. over top and all that good stuff. Yeah, he's but, he's a nightmare. That's that's I guess the one word is that it's nightmare. I don't know how a defensive coordinator really pull, puts that together. It's uh, it's definitely been an interesting development. If you have a Derwin James and a Joey Bosa uh, kind of headlining that attack the Chargers had, that's one way to help. But yeah, and another area I'm interested in is is where is the Bengals' run game going and how are they going to get it more solidly, you know, it feels like Joe Mixon, when he's able to have an impact, when the Bengals are able to get some rushing concepts working, what does that look like and where do they want that to go? Does it feel like? I'm glad you asked because I forgot to mention with all the offensive line stuff, we hired a new offensive line coach. I thought Jim Turner was probably bottom three offensive line coaches in the league, mostly known for the bullying Jonathan Martin and Richie Incognito scandal. (laughs) But, uh, Frank Pollock, I think, is great. Uh, his work with the Cowboys is good. Every time he takes over a team, it seems like, well, the Cowboys were already great. So because they had Bill Callahan before him, but like right. you look at the Jets, and I mean, they look better over time. Mackay Becton hits the ground running because he has a great offensive line coach, and that's another thing we could look at with not just having good linemen next to those guys that hit the ground running, but you look at Bill Callahan was coaching Jedrick Wills, and you have. I mean, the Buccaneers guy, I can't think of his name, but he's doing a great job. I mean, they have all those all pros developed by him. And, But, yeah, uh, I think it's going to be a wide zone-centric. We're moving back to that, which I thought Zach Taylor tried to do for like three weeks here, and then he was like, oh, this isn't working. So then he moved away from that. We've been kind of shotgun inside zone stuff. And now I think we're going to put Burrow under center more. I think it's going to be wide zone under center because that's the only way anybody on this team likes to run it, even if you can run it from pistol. I like to call that the offense because it is like <laughs> trending so much now. The the wide zone boot, it's like the Titans, the Browns, the Vikings. It's like you have that loosely mobile quarterback that can work really well, has good ball fakes, and uh, is pretty accurate. So I think that it, it's not a bad direction to go to try and develop an offensive identity. 
Yeah, it's harder to develop the identity around uh, counter bash and that stuff. You need a little bit more of a runner at quarterback. <laughs> so under center wide zone fits. Uh, I always think of like, just think of like the best running backs in the league. Derrick Henry, wide zone. Dalvin Cook, wide zone. Nick Chubb, wide zone. <laughs> well, he's running more power stuff too. That's just what you get when you get like Bill Callahan as your offensive line coach. Exactly. Yeah, you touched on uh, Burrow a little bit there and uh, kind of touching on the offensive line, I guess sort of bringing it, uh, back around um, to what we were sort of talking about with Jackson. I mean, what does the timeline look like for us two as Ravens fans to have that same feeling that you have about Jackson with Burrow trotting onto the field? What is kind of going to have to happen this year? We kind of touched before we got going about, you know, some of the reports coming out of practice. I think it's kind of all bullshit, to be honest. Like, I, you know, let's let's give the guy a couple days to reacclimate to that, you know, knee and everything, and it's it's going to take some time, but – You'll never hear that about Dak Prescott, though, even though you see all these clips. You know, it's just different flavors for different places. Yeah. So what is kind of what is the timeline for Joe Burrow to become the the sort of all pro that I think people were expecting him to be and uh, hopefully still can be? So I think this year what we're going to look for, I think he could win comeback player of the year over Dak. I think that's possible. Uh, But I don't think you're going to look at an all pro this year because you're going to have even if the schedule is easier up front than it is in the back and he should get stronger throughout the back half off of a torn ACL. All I'm really looking for is that he's not going to be scared to have his foot down and throw with a body around it. I mean, that's something he did at LSU all the time where somebody be falling down right around him and he's still stepping in and throwing that ball. He did it for the Bengals too. And that's actually what got him hurt was he stepped in through a ball, even though John Allen was right there. So that's just something you can't lose. When you lose that, you become like Jimmy Garoppolo. Carson Wentz. Carson Wentz. Yeah. When when you lose the confidence to just step and throw with bodies. You can't go into the zone when you can't just, yeah. you can't put the blinders on. Like and he horse. can also like, he steps into his throws, but he's also like, we talked about him not being super mobile. He is like kind of sneaky mobile still though. I mean, like I think back to that very first game, what did he score? His first touchdown was like a 20 yard rushing touchdown. Like he could, he could scoot a little bit. Great spatial awareness. And yeah. He's a run. Yeah. He, a quarterback draw. Yeah. And he's, he's a unit too. Like he can get out in space. Like I wouldn't necessarily like want to tackle him if I'm like one of these smaller defensive backs. So he's, he's a guy who's got a, a good, you know, it's kind of a little cliche to call a white dude, like sneaky athletic in the year 2021. So I won't say that about him, but he's just, he's athletic, man. He can move around. It is what it is. I mean, you see the pasty white guy that can run a little bit. And you're like, he's sneaky athletic, right? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Tony Romo, deceptively fast. That's that's my high end. Like, he could hit this in his career is Tony Romo, I think, where he's not going to have the arm talent to ever be, I don't know, Aaron Rodgers, who's sneaky fast and can throw a ball 70 yards through a brick wall. But he could – I think he could be Tony Romo. He's got the pocket awareness, the pocket movement – everything like that, decision-making. He's really smart already for a rookie. There was a play against the Browns where he saw them check into, I think it was like a zone at call against uh, two receivers that are close, and he had a pick play. And he said uh, he gave – it kind of looked like he was playing a clarinet. <laughs> so I'm sorry, giving away trade secrets. but uh, Yeah, we're writing all this down right now. <laughs> Sending it in. Yeah, he looked like he's playing like Squidward. And uh, <laughs> then uh, Tyler Boyd ran a fake – uh, screen like a fake pick play where he started to go out and they just busted back in and those were very in vogue last year the fake the fake pick that was the one where we hit that at the right time where we're just now hitting wide zone I don't know what 30 years late at this point <laughs> everybody's been doing it absolutely so in terms of uh, you know 
looking at this tight end room, this receiver room, that's where all the glory is. That's where all the media attention is and what they're going to be able to do. I mean, it was already such a strong group. Ravens fans, many of our listeners are, you know, even though he didn't have a great year last year, blessed to see AJ Green leave and never be seen again. The Raven killer himself, uh, arguably the, the number one Raven killer of all time alongside the Jaguars, Jimmy Smith, absolute menaces to society whenever they see the purple and black. But now you've got Tyler Boyd, the heartbreak kid himself from a couple years ago. You've got my favorite wide receiver four or five in the entire NFL, maybe other than uh gentleman in, in Denver, uh, who Tim Patrick, gosh, I was blanking. Ravens but legend. Tim looking Patrick. at Auden, like if Auden Tate is your fifth receiver, you're just your 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 room is an Adonis. Your room is absolutely stacked. So how are you feeling? You know, obviously high and, and where do you see this room going and how can they maybe open up things a little bit more based on what the changes have been from this year to last or from last year to this year? Yeah, wide receiver room looks awesome. I mean, that's what happens when you draft a guy top five and you already had T. Higgins and Tyler Boyd. I think T. Higgins is going to be the best receiver for us this year. I think he'll probably finish with the most yards and touchdowns. I think that just comes with – if you're expecting Jamar Chase to come in and be better than Justin Jefferson because he was the, quote, wide receiver one in college, it's like Justin Jefferson just had arguably the best, second just best. broke Randy Moss's rookie receiver. Yeah. Record. You shouldn't expect that. I'm hoping for maybe a thousand yards and he looks good, <laughs> and that the four three four wasn't uh, wasn't wasn't cooked. I'm hoping that's somewhat real. Uh, but T. Higgins, I mean, he he knows how to play wide receiver already. He's at an NFL level, and he almost hit a thousand yards last. If he didn't pull a hammy on a runaway touchdown against uh, you guys, week seventeen, he might have hit a thousand yards. But uh, I mean, the room it's. The room's awesome. I think we're not the best wide receiver room in general. I think you'd have to give that to the Cowboys or the Buccaneers. I'm not going to go full homer there. I think they're just more proven commodities, whereas I think you have a case that the Bengals have the best room for the next three years because Antonio Brown will be gone. I don't think the Cowboys have the money to keep all three, and Gallup's going to be coming up, and you have to pay C.D. Lamb. So we're going to be stuck here for the next three years with this group, and it's a good group to be to have and I agree Auden Tate's an awesome four I don't love him on the field every down just because mainly in our group if we had Curtis Samuel and uh, Terry McLaurin like the Washington football team I keep talking about them but I would be fine sending Auden Tate out there but it's like our group is like T Higgins four five Tyler Boyd four six Auden Tate four eight it's like okay yeah just uh, play nobody deep <laughs> just try to cover that with your corners uh, but then you add Jamar Chase who Quote unquote four three four technically. I thought he looked like four four, but you know it's still fast either way. We also didn't see him for a year, and he yeah. he, he trained. He got that forty down pat. No idea if it's true, but we'll see. <laughs> uh, tight ends, they're kind of whatever. I like Drew Sample the most, which is the weird one to like because he does a really good job run blocking. He had a he had a play last year where he was going as an insert zone or ISO play. I can't exactly remember. But he's going up to the linebacker, and he notices, I think, our center lost the battle to Cam Hayward, as you do. And As you do. He sealed Cam Hayward by himself, and I was like, oh, my goodness. This could be like our Nick Boyle. We just need to use him. Uh, he's not a great receiver, but he's just a really good run blocker. He's only two years pro. That probably wasn't worth the second a second-round pick just based off of value of blocking tight ends, but he's a good player. Uzoma is going to be – interesting as well just because it's coming off an Achilles and that's so difficult for any professional athlete to come back from 
And really, all he had was basically his athleticism. I think he's a, he's a long, lithe player too. That's you know, coming coming down on that with some of the leaping catches that he makes, that might be kind of tough. Yeah, that's yeah. bread and butter. Those little stick and nod type things and those <laughs> seam routes. He was open on one in camp. Camp doesn't. <laughs> I mean, camp whatever. But <laughs> I saw him running a stick and nod in camp. I was like, okay, he can still do it. There you go. So hit him in hit him in stride. You know, maybe he lost a, a tenth of a second on the forty, but you know, he's still a big guy that can catch. Definitely. Well, uh, we got the Hall of Fame game going here, which uh, you know I'm just dying to go and watch. So I got my uh, my last question here for you, buddy. Um, who is going to be the Cincinnati Bengals head coach in 2022? Oh God. Uh, we had to put out the thing that Zach Taylor is still our head coach. Like nobody has to say, like, yeah, he's still our coach. <laughs> no, you really said if they get fired. Nothing. Uh, I mean, listen, he's the he could be an answer. You know. I think he's fine, but I think we move on. I think, I mean, personally, I want, if we move on, to get Eric Bieniemy. I just love what he does with the Chiefs. But I think we would go for Joe Brady. And I think if he looks good again with Carolina, that just makes so much sense. Where we're, we just become... That's kind of the golden ticket. They, they've been talking yeah. about that going back to last year. I know. Last year... Would have been a little early for him to come, but yeah. you know, it still could have happened. I mean, it happened with Zach. I mean, it happened with Cliff Kingsbury. It could happen with Joe Brady, you know. <laughs> so, yeah, I think uh, I think Joe Brady, if I was going to bet, I think he would be the favorite, but I don't think – I think it would be plus odds. I think there's a lot of guys that could win that job. Brian Dabbles, an interesting kid. Could just be a nobody because I don't know. That's that would be a good fit, seeing what Josh Allen's done with that kind of spread college-style offense and – using a lot of pre-snap communication, getting to the line quickly, all that good stuff and hurry up. So definitely a strong answer there as well. Uh, so what is, what is a, what is the final, uh, sorry, Jake, I'm going to steal your thunder. What is, what is a happy season for a Cincinnati Bengals fan look like this year? And, and where does that end up? If you're, if you're feeling really confident headed into 2022, you know, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to pop your bubble. I know you're chomping at the bit to say it's a Super Bowl championship, but let's say they <laughs> and fall probably short realistically thinking that I think too. So, <laughs> uh, so what does 2022 look like in an exciting manner for a Bengals fan at the end of 2021 the most realistic exciting season I see is honestly I think 9 and 8 it's hard to tell with 17 games because maybe yeah. 10 and 7 is a little fi- yeah it's a little thing. fishy there although our extra game is the 49ers which <laughs> not an easy pool for the worst team of a division yes so, so I'm thinking nine and eight. I just think if you get a winning season, this team's going to be so exciting. It's going to be so exciting going into next year. I don't think they should have Super Bowl aspirations, although every team does. It's just the window is after the Browns pay Baker Mayfield $50 million and then then they lose some talent. And that's your window to compete for the AFC North. I don't think it's this year. Okay, absolutely. Buddy. Well, hey, we appreciate you so much for coming on. Thank you for coming on and talking some good old uh, Skyline Chili first and foremost, getting that one in nice and hot. We appreciate it. So please uh, plug yourself, tell the people where they can find you, where they can find your work and anything else you uh, you want to get off your chest before you get out of here. You can give us the finger if you want to and say, you know, we, I hate Baltimore. <laughs> no, Baltimore's fine. They have my favorite divisional game, two of my favorite divisional games because we the Tyler Boyd game that you guys hate and then the game that well, we love that one because it got us Lamar Jackson, right? Right. As, right. as I explained it, in the uh, in the one question there, yeah. And it kept us Marvin Lewis. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
uh, and then the other game that nobody ever talks about is that Steve Smith AJ Green battle. Yeah, <laughs> was that was unbelievable. The, the stiff arms, the deep contested catches, that was crazy. The fourth and five touchdown, yeah, yeah on from the fifty yard line, that was that was something. That was an awesome game. So there's they're always fun games, and they're never as bad as the Steelers Bengals games, and they're never. I don't feel like we should win as often as I do going into the Browns game. Not anymore, but like when it used to be like, oh God, are we going to lose to the Browns? Yeah, Um, right. But uh, yeah, plugging myself uh, at Bengals underscore Sands on Twitter. I do a lot of film stuff if you're interested. A lot of it's through a Bengals lens. So, you know, that is what it is. But, you know, we play the Ravens twice a year. So you'll see some stuff there. And then uh, I write for Sports Illustrated's All Bengals. And I do podcasting with both uh locked on Bengals and the unofficial Bengals podcast awesome well buddy appreciate your time appreciate all your great insight you have yourself a, a great night here just lapping up this hall of fame game and uh you have yourself a great weekend beyond that okay you guys i hope you guys have a great weekend too Absolutely. thank you so much mike gorlami Gorlami. Arrivederci. 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 Arrivederci.